Good morning, Victory Outreach Inglewood. Thank you so much. Oh. I mean, literally since the moment we drove by on the street, you have been so gracious in your reception and hospitality. Thank you for your vitality as a congregation. Thank you for hosting my husband, Ricky, here, up here with me and my three kids who are running around somewhere. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pastor Kevin and Sister Debbie, for your invitation. It's an honor and privilege to be here. You guys know Pastor Kevin is your pastor, but he's also a professor, as you know, at Azusa Pacific Seminary, where we teach together, and he is a man of God. Humble and excellent, thoughtful, intelligent, a leader, a servant. I am just in awe of the ways in which God uses him on a daily basis. I don't know how many lives and hours he lives, but that's what he does. So let us pray. God, you are holy and humble. You are magnificent and modest. We delight in your presence this day as we sing. You are worthy of our hallelujahs. We sing hallelujah to you. Would you open the eyes of our hearts and our ears that we would hear and receive what your spirit is saying right here, right now, through your living and active word. We love you and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. You are welcome here. In your name, amen. The title of my sermon is called Seeing in the Dark. Seeing in the Dark, and it comes from Luke 2, 1 through 21. So if you will turn your Bibles or open them with me. Luke 2, 1 through 21. Amen. In those days, a decree went out for the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was a descendant from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now in that region there were shepherds living in fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people, to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Oh, to, to you is born this day. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Let me say that one more time. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what they heard. 
But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> all right, so already in Luke's gospel, we learn about how God chooses Mary, a woman who seems unqualified and insignificant. You guys know about Mary, right? She's chosen to be the mother of the Most High, of the Son of God, of Jesus. And God's choice of Mary as his servant not only tells us about Mary's humility, but of God's humility, of his mercy and his graciousness. We see God rejecting the proud, but giving grace to the humble. So then we hear Mary, she breaks out in a revolutionary song, magnifying the God who has done great things for her and Israel, who brings down the powerful from their thrones and lifts up the lowly, who fulfills his promise to Israel out of his great mercy. So a central theme in Luke's gospel is that of reversal. God is reversing the religious order. God through Jesus is embracing and lifting up women, sinners and tax collectors, the ritually unclean, the ethnically impure. But God is also reversing the social order. God through Jesus is proclaiming the good news to the poor and revealing himself and showing favor to those on the margins of society, including the Gentiles, in his vision for the kingdom of God. So now where we are in Luke 2, 1 through 21, this theme of reversal continues as he tells the story of the Savior's birth. So I don't know if you guys like movies. Any of you like movies? All right, so imagine with me that we're seeing this scene through a camera lens. And Luke is zooming out over the expanse of the whole world. And of course, what he shows us is a wide-angle view of the Roman-occupied Palestine. But Luke here is giving us the politically charged setting for Jesus' birth. Verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. A census, you see, is taking place. So Joseph and Mary have to leave Nazareth, the northern part, and return to Joseph's ancestral home, which is Bethlehem. Now, they don't travel to Bethlehem because they think they're fulfilling some messianic prophecy. Rather, they're traveling there because Augustus Caesar, the most powerful person in the world, the emperor of Rome, has issued a decree that all the world should be registered. They needed, you see, to be written in the books. They needed to be documented so they could be accounted for, so they could be taxed. What seems like an impersonal pervasive work of socio-political forces beyond Mary and Joseph's control actually turns out to be forces in the control of God. Do you ever feel like God is not in control? But we see Luke is showing us that God is in control, even as the most powerful emperor of the world thinks he is the one in control. God's plan to fulfill his promise to Israel and pronounce good news for the world through the birth of Jesus, the Savior, will not be thwarted even by the ruler of this empire and by the dictates of local governing authorities. Luke wants you and me to see this day that God's plans will be fulfilled. Do you believe that? God not only fulfills his plans, though, 
but he does so in ways and through people we least expect. God fulfills his plans in ways and through people he, we least expect. But it is hard, is it not, to trust in God's purposes and plans once we start walking in them? It's one thing for them, for like our prayers to come true, for God to answer our prayer for this job that we had wanted and applied for and worked hard to receive, and we get it, and then three months in, we're like, this is not the job I thought I wanted. It's a lot harder than I thought it would be. Midway through, you're losing steam. The everyday hustle and bustle, the daily grind, makes you doubt whether you're on the right path. It makes you wonder if God is leading you and maybe fearful where God is leading you. Or maybe you feel currently in the dark with God's plans. What once seemed so clear now becomes cloudy. Have you had that problem? You had a vision from the Lord, a purpose from God, and yet it's muddled. You can't see it as well. You ask, what am I doing? Or who am I? Why did I come here again? What's my purpose again? It's so hard to trust God's plan when we only understand them partly. And when things don't go as we expect. Or, if that doesn't apply to you, perhaps you feel like the road God is leading you on is much steeper and rockier than you anticipated. You said, Lord, make a way. And he makes a way. You're like, not that way. My way. No, he makes the way. And you say, no, no, not quite like that, Lord, like this. You signed up for a calling that was much less demanding and required much less sacrifice than what you're doing now. You still hear the call clearly, but you're tired. You're discouraged, perhaps, disillusioned. You wonder if it's worth it. You see, the road less traveled by, sometimes you no longer wish to tread. It's easier to go through the wide gate. So a lot of us may relate to Mary far more than we think. See, Luke then zooms in now on Joseph and the very pregnant Mary. Unlike Elizabeth, who has given birth in the comfort of her own hometown, Mary and Joseph have to embark on their journey to Na- from their hometown, Nazareth, in Galilee, down approximately 80 miles to Judea. 80 miles. Now, we don't exactly know how she got there. A lot of Christmas cards depict her on a donkey, right? Or maybe Uber right now. Right? But Luke doesn't give us the details of their exact mode of travel. Regardless of the route, the trip would have been taken about 8 to 10 long days of walking or traveling by a slow animal, And it would have been rough for anybody going by foot or animal, but especially for a woman who's pregnant. Do you know what I'm saying? Have any of you been around a woman who's pregnant or been a woman who's pregnant? Especially towards the third trimester when you can't see your feet, when your ankles are not, they look like cankles. I don't know what they are. You're swollen. You're uncomfortable. You're so hungry, but you don't have space to eat. That's a very frustrating experience. I mean, I remember when I went to Walmart with my husband in my third trimester, and I, I couldn't find him. I don't know. You know you lose them in the aisle. Like, you're in the middle, and they've passed in the other, and you can't ever find that person. I was getting so mad. I, I was, like, sitting in the um, sample couch. I was just sitting, like, in a display. 
And then I, I, was so, I was so tired and so uncomfortable, I literally, I asked somebody to announce his name. So as to, to like, find, I wanted to find him and go home, and they're like, that's only for emergency situations for children. I'm like, this is an emergency situation. It wasn't, but that just shows how, you know, it's uncomfortable even in the easiest and most comfortable of circumstances. And here Mary is, going by foot or by some animal, pregnant, 80 miles of rocky, uncomfortable, unpaved terrain. Now, I wonder what Mary was thinking during that difficult road trip with her stomach heavy and probably cramping, with her, her feet swelling, her face bloated, her back aching. Now, this journey could not have been fun for her and for Joseph. Joseph, you know, have you ever traveled with kids? You have to bring like all this luggage. <laughs> Is this the kind of journey fit for the mother of the Messiah? Maybe she thought. It's hard to remember the promises of God when the journey gets rough. Mary is still walking and living in the promise the angel Gabriel pronounced to her. I'll, I'll share it with you because it's from the earlier chapter. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Here she is on this rocky terrain, uncomfortable, going to Bethlehem. I imagine Mary repeating in the angel's words in her heart and in her head over and over and again, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. God's extraordinary promise to Mary doesn't lead to an easy road, but a hard, uncomfortable, and very inconvenient one. And just when you think you've arrived to your husband's hometown and expecting some warm hospitality, they think the journey's finished, Mary and Joseph find that there's no appropriate lounging available in the guest house or the inn. They have to find alternative makeshift housing in a space meant for animals, in a stable. Now, Christmas cards and scenes pick to pick this quite sterile and clean, but I doubt that. It smelled. It was probably hay and uncomfortable and dirty. Mary is carrying in her room the Son of the Most High. And yet she finds herself without any VIP status or treatment. What was Mary thinking in such conditions? Did she feel God's favor at that very moment when they said, There's no room? room? Was this really a birth fit for a savior? Friends, God's plans aren't always birthed in pristine and sterile conditions. We find in this story the birth of Jesus occurring amid the dirt, the smells, the grit of animals and life. Being comfortable and having it good is not an indication that we're living according to God's will. That's what people say, but it is not witnessed here in Scripture today. I know this is contrary to the prosperity gospel and many of our materialistic notions of the American dream. 
but an indication that we are walking faithfully in the plans of God, as Mary and Joseph show us, is that we find comfort in the fact that no matter how hard things get, God is with us. Emmanuel. Having comfort from God is different than having comfort. Oh, actually, I should say this. Having comfort from God is different from finding comfort in God. Are you seeking God to get comfortable? To have comforts? Or is your comfort in God himself, in his promises, in his faithfulness, in his plans, not just for you, but for all of humanity, for Israel, for the Gentiles, for the world? I'm not saying it's wrong to have comforts. But I'm suggesting that maybe, just maybe, God isn't concerned about our comfort as much as is he is with our calling. Mary is called by God to be the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. This is a high calling, which none of us will ever experience. We are not called to be the, the mother of the Most High God. But have you ever been called to something that takes you out of your comfort zone, but enables you somehow, amid, despite that, to provide comfort for others? Are you seeking to obey God, but in doing so feel like a hot mess and oh, so very stretched? Victory Outreach, Inglewood, you are a church that is making space for others. You are being stretched. I mean, you're building space literally in your house of worship for people, for restoration, for rehabilitation, for life being restored and renewed, but I know it costs you, it taxes you of your spirit, of your time, of your tithes and offerings, literally of space. And I want to encourage you to not lose heart. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Even in your needs, even as you feel like a hot mess, even if your conditions feel far from clean and sterile and pristine, you can be and are living in God's plans despite of that, maybe all the more because of that. The fact that it is in a stable Jesus was born means that there's no space that God cannot sanctify through his grace. There are no circumstances that God cannot penetrate with his presence. And there's no person, no mess that cannot, God cannot work in and work through for his glory. Amen. So he was zooming out, Luke first, he, Luke was zooming out, showing us the whole empire of Rome, and then zooming in to Mary and Joseph's birth scene of Jesus. And then he shifts scenes again, zooming out, think about to like a panoramic of the quiet, unseen, but, unseen but cataclysmic, history-changing, promise-fulfilling birth of Jesus in the city of Bethlehem, focusing now on the outer limits of the region. It's dark, dark as night pitch black, quiet. We find ourselves in the fields with shepherds, working the night shift. Any of you work the night shift? In this scene, we also smell the stench of animals, because these are shepherds, you see. But many of them are just all around. They're sheep sleeping. They're not walking around eating at this time. They're sleeping and needing to be protected from predators. The imperial decree of Augustus hardly seems to affect these shepherds as they are on the margins, literally 
on the margins of the scene, on the outskirts, on the, on the, on the, on the place where people aren't living. It's where animals graze. While everyone else sleeps, sheep included. For us in our day, these are the undocumented. These are the forgotten and overlooked. These are the nameless. These are the laborers who do the work that so many depend on, but who have so little to depend on themselves. The world is asleep, but they are awake. Now, we learned that Mary gets this pretty astonishing visit from the angel Gabriel pronouncing the child that was to come. But these shepherds get a pretty terrifying visit from an angel, too, as we see in verse 9. The angel of the Lord stood before them. These are just shepherds doing their thing at night. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Excuse me. Now, can you imagine how bright the glory of the Lord must have been in the dark, dark night? I'm not talking about L.A. night. L.A. night is not that dark. All the lights are, con- are messing that up, the congestion in the sky. But could you imagine? It's like the sky is exploding with the illuminating presence of God. What a sight it must have been. Imagine it with me. Can you see it? That God would make his appearance known to these lowly shepherds. And although the shepherds don't burst out in song like Mary does and Zechariah does after God appears to them in the angel, we instead, they don't have to, because this whole angelic choir bursts out in song. Have you ever been to, like, the Disney music hall? I haven't. But can you imagine having that kind of concert just for these shepherds in the margins of society, in the deep of the night, in the darkest time of day, just for them to hear that to them a savior is born that is good news is it not what a it's not a waste of god's time or effort they don't need to sing cuz the angels are singing before them can you imagine how loud it must have been i mean there's not a lot of sound pollution going on out there sheep are sleeping what a sound can you hear it The shepherds are expecting nothing, you see. They're not expecting on this night to receive the birth announcements of all birth announcements. I'm not talking about some Facebook message. My baby was born 6 pounds, 13 ounces, or some card that we don't even do anymore because cards are too hard now. Everything is text, right? This is the birth announcement of all birth announcements, but they never knew it was coming. And it comes to them while they are shepherding sheep in the dark of the night, Shepherds, despite their familiarity to us when we think of Christmas, they have a very unexpected and strange presence at the birth of Jesus. They're low-ranking. Their occupation puts them literally on the outskirts, in the open fields, at the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder. And as we see in the case of Elizabeth and Mary, and now these shepherds keeping their flocks, God shows up to us 
not necessarily to the most expectant, but to the least. In fact, nothing about the arrival of the Savior is going according to expectation. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but we're so afraid of missing out on God's presence and revelation that we spend more time looking at what God is doing elsewhere in other pastures than tending to our own. We spend too much time worrying about whether we're in the right pasture and too little time getting into the right posture. You know what I'm saying? That pasture looks better than mine. That job looks better than mine. That family looks better than mine. That church looks better than mine. That community, that house, other pastures we are so fixated on missing out on what the good things in life, on what God is doing, when maybe, miss, maybe it is our posture that God is looking at. When the path is tough or takes us where we don't want to be, we often try to light our own path with our own wisdom, with our own ideas of what is right and good. We fear the dark without realizing that sometimes in order to see the light We need to be in the dark. Sometimes we don't experience the radiance of God when we have all of this congestion going on in our lives. God wants to shine the light of his Savior's love into the darkness of everyday life. We want our place in the center of things, do we not? Where the action is at, where the blessings overflow. And often that looks like anywhere but where you are. But more often than not, God is not at the center of power, but in the margins, empowering those who are stripped or void of power, loving those who are deemed unlovable, unworthy, or unimportant, using those we think unusable, underqualified. These shepherds, without without realizing it, they were in the right posture. They didn't need to be where it was at to encounter God. God took himself and his very presence to where they were at. That is the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ. God showed up where we were at despite ourselves. They didn't need to be in Jerusalem or in the heart of Bethlehem that night. They were out in the fields. And God went to where they were at to reveal the good news. The shepherd cannot have FOMO. Do you know what FOMO is? Have you heard of that phrase? Fear of missing out. FOMO. People get FOMO because of social media. They're like, oh my God, I didn't, what are they doing? They're having so much more fun than I am. Here I am working, plugging away, and they're having fun, but it's just a picture. Highly curated. A shepherd cannot expect to be at the center of attention, though. The center of power or the center of all the action, a shepherd has to be willing to love and lead and care for and protect vulnerable and valuable but pretty uneventful sheep. They're not like horses or eagles or something. Sheep are not the emblem of any national flag. A sheep with like chewing some cud, it's not very glamorous. Did you know that the word pastor comes from the Latin word for shepherd? In other words, as lowly as these shepherds may be, From a socioeconomic, political perspective, they are humble and worthy from God's perspective. They are pastoral. They lead sheep to pasture so that animals can graze and eat, and they protect sheep from harm. 
The shepherds in our story, though unnamed, unimportant and unimpressive in the eyes of most, are significant and worthy in the eyes of God. They have the posture he favors, just like Mary did. Think about this. It is those nameless, undocumented shepherds that God entrusts with the good news of the Messiah. I hope you don't feel insignificant and unworthy to share the message of the Messiah's coming. So I want to share some three points as we take this home, when we go home this week. I want to remind us through God's word that God comes to us in ways that we least expect. The dark side of incarnation is that God seeks humanity in the dark. And we, in turn, shine his light in the dark, remote places. All these Christmas lights and all that, great. But how are you shining Christ's light in the dark places? You know where they are. Sometimes it's in your own very self or in your relationships, in your households, in your family. But don't think of just setting up the tree, though. This is a very beautiful tree. These are two very beautiful trees. But how are you bearing witness to the light of Christ in the dark places around you, in you as well? God comes to the lowly Mary in his stable, and God comes to us through assuming shepherds on the margins. He comes to us in the gritty fleshiness of his son, Jesus Christ, because the birth, births are messy, people. You know, they don't have Clorox and all these towels. I don't know how they did it. It must have been a mess, a bloody, wet mess. God seeks humanity in that mess. No one... Nothing is insignificant and beyond the reach of God. No one is unredeemable to God. No space, no place. Frederick Buechner puts it beautifully when he says, Those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear, or at what lengths he will go, or what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of humankind. Oh, don't think you know where God's going to show up. The story of Jesus' birth reminds us that we do not know where his wild love for us and his pursuit of us, what depths and lengths and heights he will go. You may not want to go there. You may not think he'll get there, but he does. He goes on to say, Frederick Buechner, if holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that the holiness can be present there too. God's holiness can be present in any locale, in any person. Now, can you imagine the confirmation of Mary expect the arrival, they, that the arrival of the shepherds, how that might have, must have given hope to Mary? I mean, she doesn't know that this whole amazing Handel's Messiah thing occurred out in the sky in some you know, distance away. And she might have been wondering, what does this all mean? Is the promise of God true? Here I am in the middle of Bethlehem where there was no place for us, given this birth that no one seems to care about. And God sends shepherds to say, God told us that 
this was to happen. This is the, who he is. I imagine them overjoyed, but maybe sometimes doubtful that that baby in their arms, I'm talking about Mary and Joseph, was really the one the angels sang. Because have you heard a baby at firstborn? They're hungry and they cry. As the famous Christian song asks, Mary, did you know that this child that you've delivered will soon deliver you? I think it's a good question. See, not only does God come in ways we least expect, but God comes in ways that we can reject. These shepherds prove to be faithful messengers. And they respond like Mary to the angel's pronouncement with joy, worship, and faith-filled obedience. They accept and embrace and tell the revelation of the Savior's birth. They go with haste, we're told. They hurry. They don't wait around. They leave their sheep, actually, to see the baby Jesus, who unbeknownst to them is the true shepherd. But what about us? If the shepherds came to us saying, I mean, if lowly people who don't smell good, look good, have a seminary degree, preach good, came to you and said that they had seen and heard the voice of the living God, would you believe them? Would you receive them? Would you let them in? A lot of times we don't like the way Jesus comes to us. We want him to come in royal garb with pomp and circumstance, because then we'll pay attention. That way we treat him with honor and respect. If he comes like that, then we'll respect him like that. We want Jesus to come in gleaming, radiant light of day, not at night through shepherds. That way we definitely notice him and give him praise. That's what we say, right? But as we learn in Matthew 25, Jesus comes to us most often as a stranger. Sometimes in the form of someone who's hungry or naked or imprisoned. And it's often this Jesus that we struggle to encounter or welcome. It's this Jesus that we want to reject. Jesus, as our story tells us here today, comes in a stinky, unsuitable stable in the dead of night. But the good news is God comes to us. He comes to us. But this means we can say no. You're not welcome. Even though Mary did not seem to utter a complaint as far as we know, it is really a bitter commentary on the world that no one could make space and accommodate for her as she was about to give birth. Was there really no room in the inn for a pregnant woman about to give birth? You see, the Son of God had to be born in the stable, not because of the, only because of the reversal and the theme of reversal of God's kingdom and God is being a humble God in the way he enters, but also because a lot of times we say no. We reject the way God comes to us. And lastly, God seeks us out in the dark, and we can in turn shine his light in dark places. Brother Jerry, Pastor Jerry said, you are a city on a hill, right? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. 
You don't have to be afraid that you're missing out on God's plans for you when you're being faithful in lowly, remote places. See, in the shadow of our fears and failures, the light of Jesus can break in and dawn as bright as the noonday. You don't need the dawn for the inbreaking of God. You need the inbreaking of God for the dawn. You get what I'm saying? You don't need light for God to shine his light. It is in darkness God shines his light. That means we're all on the same playing field here in darkness. We need the light of Christ. In the shivering silence of the night or during the dark nights of the soul, the presence of God is with you and can blanket and bring peace to you. Amid depressing uh, depression, when the light around you becomes the night, the light of God's love can be your guide. The good news of Jesus Christ, the way that is in which God chooses to give himself to us and dwell among us through his Son, it is because of that we can sing with the psalmist, Surely the darkness shall cover me and light around me, and the light around me become night. Because even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Church, are you feeling like you're in the dark? You can say to God, darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day. Darkness is as light to you in your very place right now where you're at. I don't think Mary actually knew exactly what she had birthed, like exactly what it all meant in that very moment. She knew, but she didn't fully know. Have you ever been there? You know God is faithful. You, you believe, but you struggle to believe. Does that relate to any of you? She understood, but probably only in part, that God would reveal her son's identity to lowly, lowly shepherds who appeared to them in the night, probably source, served as a deep source of encouragement to her. And I hope it does to us today. Because Luke tells us, when they saw this, they made known what they had been told about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told. That is, they shared the gospel, preaching the gospel that night, without credentials, without cleaning up good. And we learned that Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. In closing, now I spent a lot of time focusing on Mary and the shepherds and their lowly position and their humble posture. But the point we must emphasize most is what the angels declare to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. The good news is one of great joy for all the people, especially those who are afraid, who are in darkness, who are overlooked who do not expect God's light to reach them. This is why we must shine the light of Christ everywhere we go and to everyone we meet. This is why we must see the light of Christ in the faces and places we least expect. So, one week before Christmas Sunday, right? 
You guys are probably like exhausted. I don't know why, but somebody has the idea of having every single party that you could spread out in 12 months in one month. Every single event and ceremony all happens in three weeks, basically, of life. And we're all like trying to stay calm, but we are stressed with the joys of giving. But what we are celebrating this Advent is the awe-inspiring humility of God. Don't let the trappings of Christmas season, the trees and the decorations, carols and gifts and stresses blind you. Like, those are beautiful things. But don't let them blind you to the explosive significance of God's inbreaking. God inserted himself into human history through Jesus' seemingly insignificant birth among peasant parents made known through an angelic choir to some seemingly insignificant shepherds. He achieved this with almost frightening quietness and humility. As I heard it once explained by J.B. Phillips, there was no advertisement, no publicity, no special privilege. In fact, the entry of God into his own world was almost heartbreakingly humble. It is this humble God who guides us in the dark, who tells us, though we may feel like we're unseen and on the margins, that God sees us and shines his eternal light on us and in our mundane and most darkest circumstances and onto us, yes, you and me, a Savior is born. Let us pray. Lord, help us to see you in the dark. Sometimes, Lord, the days are long and the road is hard. Help us to receive you in the dark. Because sometimes you come in ways we just don't expect or understand and in ways we want to reject. Lord, help us shine out in the darkness your light. You are the one who shines in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face and name of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.